0: Welcome to what we now call Wednesday Night Study, or WNS, and the only reason why we do that is because we love acronyms, and so we love to just, everything has to have some kind of a crazy name for it, but actually the bigger picture is is that uh, recently, in the last few years, we've started something called Men's and Women's Encounter, and that's what this was actually called, was Encounter, a time when we would encounter at a deeper level God's Word, um, and then there's another... Uh, opportunity, many how many of you guys have been on men's or women's encounter, raise your hand, it's incredible, I've, I've gone myself, it was, it's an incredible time, and so uh, just to kind of avoid that confusion, we thought what can we change, and this one was an easy one, so what we really are doing are studying on Wednesday night, so what better name than Wednesday night study for it, so uh, that's what we're going to be doing, now you may not even know what our uh, uh, what our subject matter is for this fall, and you're here anyway, so that's kind of cool, Um, We are going to be studying together what we are calling as the four pillars of discipleship. The four pillars of discipleship. If you've been around Sunnybrook um, almost any time at all, you probably are very well aware how much we love to talk about um, the discipleship issue. How much we appreciate um, God's giving to us um, the responsibility of not just going to church, not just having worship services. Um, as a, a ministry team and as an eldership, we are deeply convicted and compelled to do one very simple thing from the Great Commission, and that is to make disciples and to teach them how to obey Jesus in everything for the glory of God. So that's, that's really who we are at our very core. Um, and so one of the things that we love to do is talk about that. And so ordinarily on a Wednesday night, um, uh, and I would say ordinarily meaning probably two out of three semesters, we are going through a Bible book together. We are studying through First and Second Timothy, or we're studying through First um, uh, John, and we did Ephesians. Um, it's probably on our docket again to do the book of Revelation again, um, because we kind of do that about every four years or so, and so I'm sure that one's going to be coming up probably next year, but we already know what we're going to be doing this fall and in the spring. We're going to be spending two weeks this fall, or two, uh, we're going to be talking about two units over this fall semester, describing two of the pillars of of discipleship, and then we're going to bring it up again in the spring and talk about the other two. Um, Now let me share with you a little bit about kind of how this hour is designed or kind of what it's, it's ultimately intended to do. When you go over and you look at our Go, Gather, Grow piece, um, there, are, uh, there are different aspects that we believe God has called us to do, and one of them is to grow in our understanding and obedience to who Jesus Christ is, um, that we're not here as passive recipients or even passive worshipers, but instead we are called by God in the Bible repeatedly. If you read it, you'll see. Your responsibility as a follower of Jesus, or as a follower of God, is to grow in your understanding of who He is, and then as a response of that, to grow in your obedience to Him. And so um, ordinarily on a Sunday, I've got about 35 minutes ish, they try to keep me to 35 minutes where I'm walking through a biblical text. Um, But then there are often other subjects that are way more deep or complicated that we have to uh, approach and to deal with. So that's the reason why we gather here. It's not just, hey, there are kids playing in mud. Do you have anything for the adults? That's not kind of what this is. This is really our opportunity to delve in a lot deeper and say, Listen, we, we need something more than just a 30-minute message. What we need is, is deeper information. I'm not always the teacher who is up here. I may teach the majority of times, but there's a number of us who are teaching. But our goal is that we might be challenged and encouraged, and we don't apologize for this at all. There's a lot of bad rap stuff going around about knowledge. And hear me, the Bible warns that knowledge puffs up, so it, does, it also comes with a dark side to it. But the knowledge of God is what the, what the Bible does. The Bible, God revealed himself in Scripture. And so we are going to know who God is. And when our knowledge of God um, remains detached and there's no, there's no change in our lives. We know a lot of things about God, but I'm still living for Jim. That is where there's a problem or a disconnect. That's not our intent. My intent has never been, should never be, you need to know some more things about Jesus, so let me give you five more things. No, it's let me tell you about Jesus, and then we wrap our lives around those truths, and they mold and they shape us into a completely different kind of people. And so that's kind of what our our goal is here. So it's not education for education's sake, it's education for the glory of God's sake. So that's how that works. That's kind of what this hour is designed to do. And so um, we are gonna be looking at what we're now describing as the four pillars of discipleship, um, four different aspects of discipleship that hold us together in terms of, like, what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm always leery of these things. We're not trying to argue. We went to the Bible, and Jesus said there are four pillars of discipleship. So unlike other religions that actually do have just pillars of truth, that their leader says, these are the pillars, or their people said, these are the pillars, no, these are four things that we believe, as the leaders of Sunnybrook, that really at their very heart describe what it means to know who God is and to respond to him fully. These are, in in some sense, you'll you'll know when I describe them, they are are non-negotiables. And we really believe they are the building blocks for you and I to be able to worship well, for us to be able to go on mission trips well, for us to be able to raise our children well, for us to be able to work well in the marketplace, for us to be able to evangelize well. All of the life's issues at some level, we believe, comes down to these four pillars, okay? And you've got them actually in your notes. I hopefully you picked up one when you walked in. The first pillar, and we're going to be talking more about this one tonight. So this fall, we're going to be doing identity and biblical literacy, but I want to talk, I want to break them down so you can kind of see what the four are for you tonight. Let me, let me just read to you the description of what we're describing in terms of identity. I'm going to read it slowly because it's, uh, I hope it's not cumbersome, but it definitely there's a lot here. When I say identity, I don't just mean um, I am a C, I am a C H, I am a C H R A S T I A N, and I have C H R A S T in my H E R A T, and I will L I V. The rest of it, I can't, I get lost at that last line, but I'm not just talking about that kind of um, reciting of those things, I'm talking about something that is much more foundational to who we are. So identity is this, Um, and and, and by the way, if you you want all this, I can kind of email you kind of the, the specifics, but kind of catch the grips on this, okay? Understanding and living faithfully to who God made us when he created us, and then remade us when he redeemed us. So that we do not establish an identity on anything else. So, God, we talk about this a lot, right? The meta narrative creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That our identity is based upon these two things. Number one, that God made us. We'll talk about what that means tonight. And that number two, Jesus Christ has remade us. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But it's foundational that when we talk about identity issues, that we stay focused. Because if we don't stay focused on God made me and the implications of that, and Jesus is remaking me, then in the end, church is a place where you go completely detached from ultimately what God is doing in the universe, which is redeeming all of creation for himself. And there is a tendency for all of us, you know this, there's a tendency for all of us to try to find other ways to find an identity, okay? Um, I, I, I do, I, chew, I cheer for Oklahoma State, go Cowboys, yay, I do that, okay, but I'm actually at heart a Miami Hurricanes fan, some of you actually know this, I love the Miami Hurricanes, go you, So, and I know what it's like every year, I'm, I'm going I'm to buy, it drives my wife crazy, but I'm going to buy a new Miami Hurricane shirt so that I can have a nice polo to kind of go with our our season's goals this year. And actually a couple of, uh, I was in the middle of a meeting one time, and I got a a letter, an email from Mark Richt, who's the coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And he asked me, because we're friends, you know, and um, he asked me if I would give to their new Building Champions campaign. And I just felt like I have to give because I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a supporter of them. And so I sent them $50. And they sent me a letter saying, thank you so much for being part of the Building Champions campaign. And I have a bumper sticker on the back of my car that says, go you. Okay? Like, this is who I am. And it's amazing how something as silly as football shapes my identity. It does, doesn't it? Man, it's who I am. I'm a fan. Now, it gets deeper. And I have, like, um, I have a, an occupation that begins to mold and shape who I am. And then when I do well at that, I feel really good about me. Man, I feel good about me because I'm really succeeding at what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, I'm not doing well. Man, I'm a terrible person. Man, I'm really struggling in my job. And man, I have no, and then I lost my job. And when I lost my job, then it's just like, man, who am? I don't even know who I am anymore. Have you heard people talk like this? What are they saying? They're saying my identity was wrapped up in something, and then when that was doing well, I had it, and when that was doing not well. Now, by the way, God does not call us to be disembodied people, to try to say that having a job and doing well and not having a job, that we should like be the same all the way through that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that, actually. But the Bible also says that our identity is found in who God has made us, and our identity is primarily and foundationally found in the fact that I am being remade in the image of Christ. And there is a real danger for all of us. I think you can probably hear it in a lot of our culture. The I am a, and then you, they kind of fill in the blank. I am a, and then you might, for you it might be I'm a mom. Man, I'm a mom. And the worst thing that could ever happen is that my kids ever grow up and leave. Oh my goodness, when my kids grow up and leave, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know, I won't even know who I am. I hear people describe that. Man, our, our last one left a couple of months ago, and, or about a month ago, and we were like, Oh, this is, we should have started this way. Well, we did start this way, and then we had kids, and now, now we have it back. So it's exciting, actually. Actually, Andrew and I are empty nesters for the first time in a very, very long time, and we love it. We love our kids being away, and then they get to come and visit, and we love that too, and then they go away, and we love that again. So um, identity becomes a big deal, and there is a natural tendency in every one of us to find something else to want to put our identity in. And by the way, the description of that when it's unhealthy, okay, like I'm a man, there's nothing wrong with me recognizing I'm a man and acting like a man, but when I'm a man above all else, then that's called idolatry. If I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's really the the foundational piece, and that's what I am more than anything else, even something as quote-unquote noble as that, being a servant of of, of, of and I'm thinking about more of the occupational side of that and then all of a sudden when my job is done and I'm no longer a pastor and I have to retire someday right and then all of a sudden I'm like I don't know who I am and I don't know if I love Jesus anymore and I'm not going to church what happened you were you had an, you had an identity in something that was not deeply rooted in Christ And so identity is a a serious, serious, serious problem. And when we find it in something else, when we find it in an occupation, when we find it in another relationship, that leads to idolatry and rebellion against God. That's what it leads to. And so you can honestly see why this is more than just, well, we need to understand what it means to be not just women and men, and we'll talk more about that as well, but ultimately as children of God. And how do we put that we are Christ followers above all else? And what does it really mean for us to put our identity in him? Well, the second thing that we're going to look at, um, and we'll do that a little later on in this semester, we'll round it out right before Thanksgiving, is this issue of biblical literacy. So the first one is identity, and the second one is biblical literacy. Now, obviously, um, this one here is something that you, you all know we use the Bible a lot. Right, You can see them in the pews and you know that I, I teach from them a lot and so we know that they have value and they have worth but I'm not just talking about hey the Bible is a good thing but one of the pillars of discipleship is that you know how to use it I meet people all the time that are so desiring I believe this I'll, I'll take them at their word Man, I desire to be a better follower of Jesus Christ I desire to know Jesus better and then if I were to just kind of break it down and say well tell me about your active engagement with the word of God yeah, I'm really, really busy. I don't have time to do that regularly. I bought this one-minute Bible, and I don't have quite t- time to do a whole minute in a day. But if they could ever come out with, like, a 15-second Bible, hmm. So you really don't know the Bible. Like, you really don't know, like, where to go to find nourishment. And truly, it, it just, it, it will stunt your growth. Now, again, it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. But when you find yourself, um, when you find yourself anxious, when you find yourself scared, when you find yourself overconfident, when you find yourself rebellious, the word of God, better than anything else, better than anyone else's wit or wisdom, the word of God will center you. The word of God will give you strength. The word of God will encourage you. I know this sounds crazy, but we're in church, and so we say unbelievable things here all the time, and they're just believable, but the, the, the word of God is supernatural. Like, I believe that. I believe that when I'm reading Ephesians 2 and it's describing like dead people coming to life, it's not just describing Jesus who actually did that by the power of God, but it's describing the life that I experience when I engage Jesus and the Holy Spirit that now lives in me. Like our whole mindset is that of supernatural. I'm not here to be a psychological coach or your life coach, but to describe a supernatural engagement with the word of God, question is, do you believe that? There's a young lady who will actually be coming to, no, a couple of days from now. We met her in Poland. She was Ryan's translator. She's a young girl. She's going to be with us for a month. Uh, We decided to bring her here and uh, to kind of give her an opportunity. Um, She has been serving with this church um, during the summer times for a few years. Um, She grew up um, going to church on a pretty regular basis, but never really actively engaged um, Jesus in a way. And so Ryan Vincent was actually sharing with her, and he began to talk with her about biblical authority. The idea that the Bible would mold and shape her life. She's about 18 years old. Very passionate young lady. And she looked at him and she said, biblical what? Well, you know, like biblical authority. Like when you're reading your Bible and you're engaging. And she's like, no, I don't have a Bible. Wait a second. Like you've been going to church for how long? Like my, my life. And you've never no. So you're t- this is what she kept saying. You're telling me like the Bible's gonna tell me how to live my life. Like that sounded like uh, yes, and 1 plus 1 is 2, just in case you're wondering. It seems like it's the most natural step. And yet, I would argue that she's not alone. She's really not alone. I would argue that many of us um, have probably seduced ourselves into believing that we're, we're following the Bible. You know, kind of, because I think it says in there somewhere that I should be a good person. I'm following the Bible, kind of, because, you know, it really, really tells me that I should, like, be a good, per- good person. It's kind of like the only thing. Be friendly. That's kind of the major theme that we have right now in our culture. Well, no, actually, the Bible says a lot more than that. And so biblical literacy helps us know who God is and what God is like. Um, I, I was I was, with a, I was with a young lady one time, and we were in my office, and we were going through a prayer time. And in the middle of this, I, I realized, like, our prayers, one of the reasons why our prayers are, are shallow or our prayers feel lifeless is because we don't really know who we're praying to. It's kind of more like a letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, I've been good. Send me something nice. Like, I really don't, I don't know Santa. I mean, I know he wears a red suit and all that stuff, but I really don't like know him, know him. I guarantee, what what is, what, what began to cause in my own prayer life a deeper communion, a deeper communication is that I began to know the one that I was talking to. I began to realize how holy and righteous and loving and caring and merciful and how, I mean, I began to see like the fullness of who God was and I realized, wow, like I, I really do. First of all, I want to be on the right side of this being. <laughs> and the second thing is like I want, to, I want to be able to know how to communicate with him. And so this, this, this deep desire, in, whether it be prayer or whether it be, I promise you this, one of the reasons why I worship one of the reasons, because I'm not, I'm not a fan of the only reason, but one of the reasons why worship can feel either dead or it can feel really exciting but shallow is because you don't know the one to whom you're singing. I could sit here and I could sing about my wonderful wife for a really, really long time. I could talk about her, I could sing about her, I could sit here and reflect on her and all of the things that she has done for me and all of the things she has done for our family and I could just go on and on and on and on and on. You know, kind of like you do about like football or baseball or your job or uh, your grandkids. You know how you do that? Yeah. And then when it comes to God, you really don't kind of know what to say. Why do you think that is? Because you don't know like you don't know his batting average. Like you, you don't know where he is on the depth chart. Like you don't know what his favorite color is. Like you don't know these things. And so no wonder that in worship and in other elements, it just kind of feels flat. Of course it feels flat. You don't know who he is. And the more that you know him, the more you want to sing to him, the more you want to hear from him, the more you want to talk to him. So biblical literacy is so much more than um, and by the way, there may or may not be a test involved, uh, but I promise you, um, we're only going to take your scores and make them public. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. Um, but biblical literacy is more than just kind of knowing facts. It's knowing God, okay? So to know the Bible. Number three, which we won't get to until next semester, is the, is the, is the, the, the third pillar, is spiritual formation. Understanding... Like, what it actually looks like to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. This is who I am. This is the book that I use. What is all of this about? Um, And this is where we, as a church, um, the Western church particularly, has really got this wrong. We are, uh, I'll give you the fancy word for it, we are soteriologists at heart. Which is this. Everything that we think about, everything that we focus on at church is are you saved or are you lost? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? That's soteriology, salvation. And that's almost everybody ever talks about. Are you lost or saved? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Yeah, well, God's going to win in the end. That's really all I know. Okay, that is not what the Bible teaches, actually. No, by the way, the Bible teaches about heaven and hell, and the Bible teaches about salvation. But if you were to go back and find all of the texts that describe that what God is all about and what your life is all about is just to get to heaven and then to just enjoy it over there, and until then, you know, like, have fun, be nice, and uh, go to church as much as you can. Read the book, uh, have some nice thoughts in your head, love your kids, right? That is not the way the Bible describes it. Are you ready for this? The Bible will describe, in terms of our identity, as us being made, us being broken, and then us being restored. And that restoration is not magic. More more, more Christians, and I mean, when I say this, when I say most Christians, I'm talking about things I've had to learn and work through, and I'm still learning and working through. But I began to realize so often what, we, what so many Christians believe is like magic. I know of a case, okay? We're all grown-ups in here. I know of a case where a couple was really struggling in their marriage. Intimacy was completely gone, okay? Intimacy was completely gone. And so I'm talking to this young man about his marriage, and he just kept saying, yeah, I'm just gonna start praying that God just takes that away from me, that God just doesn't make me want that anymore. Yeah, that would be a dumb prayer. Why would God begin to, Dismantle the way he made you. Why would God do that? That's actually not what God does. Well, I just, you know, I just, I struggle with lust, and so I'm just gonna pray that God will just take that away from me. Okay, no, explain what you mean by, you know, like take it away. Listen, I'm not gonna tell you, no, it's up to you, and you need to pull your own bootstraps. That's not what I'm gonna tell you. But the process of spiritual formation in us is not magic. If you go back and you look at Paul says focus on Christ, put to death these sins, focus on Christ, put to death these things. That's what he says. Not pray and God will just change it. It's no. God changes us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then as you and I begin to experience this new life, they call it regeneration, this new life that we have in Christ. But what scares me so much is that People come to faith in Jesus Christ and never change. Like they um, they they come to this new realization, or they get baptized, but in, in or they or they invite Jesus into their heart. Whatever kind of mode the, the the particular group of people we baptize here, because that's what they did in the book of the in the book of Acts. But whatever it is that however it is that they see, they see that, and then they think like that's it. Like I'm I'm kind of done. No, really, you're not. And it's not about, so you're telling me I'm not saved, I'm going, well listen, again, this is the beautiful part. I say this, I try to teach this so much. The concept of being saved, is, 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 it's got a whole bunch of different pieces to it. One of them is a rescue, and by the way, I want to be rescued, not just from hell, but I want to be rescued from the old me. I want to be rescued from a lot of the old junk that exists in my life. I don't just want to just, just be rescued in terms of my eternal destiny. That, and that's great too. But I, I need to be rescued from the fallen Jim Johnson because he's a mess. And he, he is hurting inside. And he, unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him, he will hurt others, you know. He will hurt others. And so there is a rescue. One of my favorite ways of looking at this word is the, is the idea of being made whole. A lot of Christians, I don't know how to use that word sometimes, a lot of people who think they're Christians aren't in the process of being made whole again. You know? This is why I, you'll very seldom, seldom hear me describe Christians as people who go to church. You need to come to church. Well, actually, you really need to deal with Jesus. <laughs> And then after you deal with Jesus, I just, I I trust him so much, and I believe in him so much, that once Jesus has your heart, that these things kind of follow through. So hear me, I'm not saying, guys, you need to try working harder at being a Christian. I want to free you of that. I'm going to ask you to pursue your heart, pursue your heart fully, and if your heart is Jesus, this is what you will experience, okay? Okay? So by the way, when I say pursue your heart, on Sunday I love to rip on heart things. I'm talking about a sanctified heart, okay? And by the way, if you don't have a sanctified heart, you pursue that, you'll end up with a messed up life. And then hopefully in the middle of your messed up life, you'll go, ah, I want Jesus. And then as you pursue him, you'll experience this spiritual formation. So this is Jesus Christ, hear hear me, the Bible actually teaches that by the time I'm done my life, whenever that is... Um, uh, I will be ultimately but even in the process I will be in transition to becoming more like Jesus Christ and, and people should be able to see that and I should be able to experience that and I would even tell you that if you're not experiencing that, if you're not seeing that in your children who are followers of Jesus Christ, if you're not seeing that in your spouse and they're saying that and you're not seeing them become more like Jesus um, you really, I don't know the, the phrase that I would use but it doesn't mean it get, you need to get your money back because that's always been God. God's intent, is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. Last one that we're going to be looking at is the idea of missional living. Missional living. Now, the reason why we believe this is so critical, so this is who we are, this is the book that we look like, this is the process that we go through, and this is the context in which we live it out. The context in which we live it out is missional living. Now, here's what I love about that, because so often in the church, this is where I'm so grateful for the team that I get to be a part on here at Sunnybrook, uh, staff and elders, is that we begin to realize that so often when we think about, say, and it's not everything, but that go piece, sometimes when we think about the go piece, we think, oh, you mean like a mission trip? Well, sure, that's part of going, but it's more than that. Like, what else more would it be? Well, it may be like sharing your faith at work. Oh, okay, so you mean evangelism. So it's evangelism and mission trips. Yeah, I think that's it. I think God has evangelism, mission trips, and then the rest of your life. And then we begin to divide it all up, which that kind of dividing up is a very dangerous way to look at your life. What if what Jesus Christ has asked us to do is to live for him in every context? Don't you believe that? So now my missional living is not just about going on mission trips and sharing my faith, but my it is about going on mission trips and sharing my faith constantly, like wherever I am. Like when I go home with Andrea tonight, I'm going to live out my faith as a faithful husband. I'm going to be a faithful husband to her. And then my, my son's going to be coming home this weekend, and so I'm going to be with him, and so I'm going to live missionally with him too. Can ask him how he's doing, going to talk about college, or might even have some fun, go to Granny's for breakfast. I mean, all of these different things that we're going to do, this is what missional living is. And then, by the way, that also includes in the Johnson household, going to Ethiopia sometimes, going to Poland sometimes, working down at the, this, sharing our faith with our neighbors. It is, a, it is a much broader picture, a more holistic picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ because it is too easy for us to miss the context in which God has given us to live out our faith. And so in the end, many Christians feel um, wrongly guilty about, man, like, all I'm doing is investing, I'm especially, I've, I've, I've talked to a number of, of, of younger women who are spending all of their time, I mean, Aaron, you kind of said this a little bit in your, uh, when you were sharing about your trip, like, Jake gets to go out and save almost all of Ethiopia in a single day, and all Aaron, Aaron did was, like, stay home and raise the kids. So who is living missionally? Well, you know, Aaron was through Jake. Well, sure, but actually, Jake was through Aaron. And this redeems every aspect of it. This changes how you look at work. This changes how you look at your neighborhood. This changes how you look at the city that we have been blessed to be a part of. Okay? It changes fundamentally everything. And when disciples don't understand that, then in the end, being a disciple happens when I land in Warsaw. It happens when I land somewhere else. No, it doesn't. It actually is, it is a constant in my life. And there are different degrees in which I am living uh, missionally, there's some that feel way more intentional. Like when I'm in Poland, I just feel more like a missionary, right? Okay? But that's, that doesn't mean that I'm not constantly living on mission. And so we are going to talk about these two this semester, these two this semester And hopefully by the time we're done, everyone in here will have A, a better understanding, and then B, not only a better understanding, but then they'll be able to uh, be more faithful in obeying who Jesus Christ is. They'll be able to draw back on this identity that I have. I don't know if I feel at my very core I'm a child of God. I don't know if I feel at my very core that I'm a forgiven child of God, but I know that to be true, and so I'm going to struggle through this. I'm going to work through this. I'm going to remind myself through this. I know that my job is taking I'm going to work through this. Our, my goal, ultimately, is that each of us, as we're, as we're done, by the time we're done this next semester, that at least we have a greater desire to understand our identity and a greater desire for us to know the Bible and, uh, uh, and, and, and use it well. Now, by the way, um, I just got to kind of attach this. How do the four pillars match with the three Gs? Okay. And, and, and by the way, so are we getting rid of that? Are we now going to be talking about the four pillars instead of the three Gs? No. The, the thing is, is that we believe as we look at this, these actually work in conjunction with one another. That in the end, what what has really caused a lot of people to go, I don't know what you mean by going, or I don't know what you mean by gathering, or I don't know what you mean by by growing. Like, what does that actually look like? And that's because these these four pillars, biblical identity, or identity and biblical literacy and spiritual formation and missional living, is the way by which we ultimately go and gather and grow. That's how they fit together. So we're not getting rid of them, but we're saying, maybe your struggle... Your struggle, your personal struggle, is that you don't know the word of God. Maybe your personal struggle deep down inside is you really don't know where your identity lies. Maybe your struggle deep down is you do not recognize that you are to be looking like Jesus Christ. You really don't understand what it means, and we want to help you through this. We want to help you. How do I live like a follower of Jesus Christ in my marriage, in my home, with my children, at my workplace? Those are the kind of conversations that we want to actually live out. So let's jump into this. Um, this is, uh, this is, this is a, a, a big, this is a rather deep component. I promise you that you will actually probably learn, most likely, about 95% of you, maybe 100% of you, will learn actually a, cu- a couple of new words tonight. But we're going to go back to kind of the very beginning and look at what we describe as the nature of man. Obviously, it's important for Christians to understand um, the, they, that, that, that the authentic Christian, or what is the authentic Christian understanding about human nature? Especially when there are so many non-Christian ideas about humanity that are going around there. So, is, is my identity something that I discover within me? You've probably heard this. I'm trying to figure out who I am. Do you know people who do this? Just really trying to figure out who I am. What does that mean? Well, it means I just kind of sit there and I think about what I really, really want. And then I go after it. And then I know that's really, really me. That's my authentic self. Hmm. Okay. Like, who told you that was your authentic self? Like uh, the, the television and the internet. They're really helpful. Okay. So there's lots of ways that we can pursue or discover our true and authentic selves. And since that's the case, somebody needs to stand up and say, hey, by the way, I want to give you a Christian view of this. I want to give you a Christian understanding, a Christian explanation about what identity ultimately looks like. Here are some questions I want to ask you, and I want you to just think about these things. Are human beings part of nature or above nature? Meaning, are we mortal or immortal beings? Mortal or immortal? Okay, now you might go, wait a second, what are you talking about? I'm asking you, like, are we, are we like everything else that just kind of comes and lives and then dies, or is there something else within us? And by the way, the Bible actually says to that in a nutshell, Bible says what? Are we mortal or immortal? Bible says what? Yes. There is a side of us that is, that is mortal, and then there's a side of us that is not. Hmm. Second thing, are humans essentially good or essentially evil? What are they? Essentially good or essentially evil. This will shape your understanding of who you are. I mean, I think we're all just generally good. I, I just think we are. I think we're all just generally good. Well, then how do you explain, and I pick some kind of terrible part in human history, well, except for them. Oh, okay, well, how about these? Well, except for them, too. And my ex-girlfriend. Like, uh, the, you know, Hitler, uh, Stalin, and my ex-girlfriend. Those are the ones that I believe are terrible people. But everybody else just kind of is generally good, Right? So what is your belief system? Do you believe that people are generally good or do you believe that people are generally evil? What does the Bible say? You know what the Bible says? Yes. And we got to navigate that yes. The Bible actually says both. Third question I want to ask you, are humans sinners because they sin or do they sin because they're sinners? This really goes back to some of the really core ideas. Are we people, um, I, I love, this is, this is how you can really tell you're wrestling with this, if someone can say, well, you know, yeah, I, like, I, I lied, and I, and yeah, I lied there too, and I lied there too, but I'm not a liar. I'm just a person who lies occasionally. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a thief. I'm just a person who, like, takes things from others without their permission for myself. Um, actually, I don't think you understand how this works. You seem to be able to... And I wanted to ask you this question. Like, this goes back to our our, our, our core nature. Like, are we people who are generally good, who happen to do a few bad things, or are we people who are, um, are we actually not uh, people who happen to be sinners because we sin, but like our nature is that of sinner? Is our nature that way? And what does the Bible actually speak about that? Even on this last one, by the way, the Bible kind of says, yes, we are sinners because we sin. And we actually sin because we're sinners. The Bible describes both of those happening simultaneously. And one of the things that I loved about this lesson for me personally was it really kind of taught me that any kind of one way of looking at things is just a cheap way of looking at it. So we're good. We're only good for the most part. No, we're evil. We're mostly evil for the most part. Both of those ideas are the wrong way to look at it. And I think one of the reasons why, whenever we create, create this dichotomy or this, this polarity of ideas, one of the problems is, is that sometimes it's really good to change the angle to kind of see what's exactly happening. And how this is described, and we describe our evil, and we describe the way God originally intended us, actually I am really, really messed up, but that's not the way God intended it to be. Or when I'm looking at like, what, what Jesus Christ is doing in me, then I believe I come over here and I go, oh, actually, no, now that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me, I have there is something that is good now in me. The Holy Spirit is now in me. Now, there is something behind that that is still broken that is being restored, but I need to look at it this way. And it becomes a little bit of the problem of just kind of having this either-or mentality the Bible offers in many ways, either a both-and or, better yet, I like to ask, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean we're evil? What do you mean we're good? Describe what you mean by that. And the more that we can ask those questions, the more we can really begin to shape our identity. Can I give you a real practical way in which this kind of played out in the Johnson household? One of my favorite stories, he's sitting back there all tired, my, my, uh, my oldest son. He was um, uh, a young little boy, probably seven or eight years old, and he wanted to get baptized. So so excited. I got to get baptized. I got to get baptized. I got to get baptized. And I said, okay, son, so let me, tell me about why you need to be baptized. And he's telling me because of sin. And sin has caused a separation between me and God. But Jesus has bridged that amazing divide by his vicarious by, by death on the cross. And he is an a, atoning sacrifice. He's like eight years old and knew all these crazy fancy terms that his mother taught him. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, oh, okay. So he knows all this big, big speech. And then I looked at him and I said to him, son, are you a bad boy? And he said, no, I'm not a bad boy. Well, if you're not a bad boy, then why do you need Jesus? No, I still totally need Jesus because I'm a sinner. I'm just not a bad boy. And what had happen? He was at some level, and it's okay when you're young, it's at some level to be confused by that. I promise you. Ask your kid if they need Jesus, and then ask them if they're a good kid, and they'll tell you, conflicting answers, which, by the way, I, you know, um, that's where I had to sit down and try to break them down. Son, you're a terrible, terrible, terrible child. You've been a disappointment from the very beginning. So you kind of work through. No, you provide, you don't do that. You provide the right context. Like, son, when I say good, this is what I mean. And these are those areas where your mom and I are really, really proud, and we really, really love you. But let me tell you, God is a big piece of the universe, obviously. And let me talk to you about it. And we began to add some more to the equation. And so you can see why in the end, having like a good explanation of are we good or are we evil, are we, where are we broken, is going to ultimately help us in some of the most important areas of our lives. And one of the reasons why this is so critical right now is because we are seeing, particularly with the advancing technology that is happening, particularly with social media, that identity issues are being shaped in ways that are just kind of blowing sociologists' minds right now. Technology is radically shaping. I, I, I know I was, I was reading on my Twitter feed the other day, and as I was reading this, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite guys right now to read. Is, his name is Christopher Ewan, um, phenomenal uh, Bible teacher, and Christopher Ewan was just sharing this new device. It's kind of like your Alexa. Is it Alexa? Is that right? Is that the is that the um, Amazon thing? So Alexa, uh, except this is it's twenty five hundred dollars and it's made in Japan. And basically what it is, is it's, it's a device very much like Alexa, except it's got a picture of like one of those little like Japanese girls, you know, the school, and, and she's this 3D hologram type thing that lives inside of this thing. And it is, it is allowing like 60% right now of the like the single Chinese or Japanese people aren't even really interested in a relationship. They're just, they kind of like doing their own thing. And so this is going to provide a relational uh, person for you to get to know and to, to be with and to have a relationship with. And it's really, really cool because she'll text you throughout the day, hey, honey, I miss you. And she'll even, like, encourage you to come home. Can't wait till you come home. If you can come home by this time, we, and she'll sit and watch television with you. She actually has a chair that she gets in, and she sits and watches television with you. And they're just describing how this is really going to help those people who are really, really lonely. And I want to ask you, really? Do you really think it's going to do that? Now, in America, we call them puppies. But it's that same mindset. What do we, what do, we do? I need someone. Uh, another question that, that you're going to have to deal with in terms of our, our dynamic is not just technology and how it shapes and molds us, but like just the whole ethical question. Your ethics will be determined by your view of humanity. What is going to be the basis for our ethics? Well, you know, we're going to all get together and decide whether or not it's good or whether it's bad. Because, you know, it's relative. That, that means that, that humanity has the self-ability, uh, has the self-giftedness uh, almost this giftedness to determine that which is right and wrong. Where does that come from? Who has the audacity to say, I can decide what's right for me and what's wrong for me? Where does that come from? That comes from a misunderstanding of identity. Okay? I can't just, if I said to you, you know what, I just want to be an American. And so I think I should just be an American. You look at me and go, it doesn't work like that. No, it actually does for me, though. It does for me. No, like it doesn't work like that for anyone. That's not the way it works. To become an American involves a process, for those of you that were born outside of this nation. And this is what the process looks like, right? We might even like change what the process looks like, but there's a process. I can't just self actualize my way into. And so ethics fundamentally is shaped by how we understand the the nature and the purpose of the human condition. Um, So, uh, ah, let let me read you this great quote. The Christian message about humanity is a paradox, but it is not a contradiction. We need to hold out a unified vision, so it's a paradox, but not a contradiction, right, where we're, 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 we're evil and we're good. We understand what that looks like. But that is not a contradiction. It's just a paradox. That's why you need to understand kind of how they fit together. And we need to hold on, how to hold out a unified vision of humanity that undergirds the values of respect for human life, basic human rights, while at the same time acknowledging human limitations and evil tendencies. I love that quote. We need to be able to say, listen, There is a a need, because God is God, for human rights and respect and dignity when it comes to humanity. We need to fight for these things. That's why racism is wrong, and that's why that that inequality stuff that exists in our culture is broken and never the way that God intended. Well, so you're saying, like, like, we can achieve this? Well, no, because there are some crazy evil tendencies, but we will fight it till the end. That's what I believe strongly. I don't know if we'll ever fix racism. But I will fight it with every breath I have. And that comes from a description in terms of who our, um, uh, who our God is and our, our connection with Him. So what is our place in creation? There are a couple of key things that we actually that, that come from this idea of, uh, of God making us. And the first one is this, is that human beings are creatures that are made of dust from the ground. That means we are finite, limited physical beings who are, and this is the key word for me, dependent upon their creator. We are dependent upon our creator. And one of the things that you and I fight to do, um, relationally, um, people, people will do this all the time. You, and by the way, every single, when I say people, I mean like not you and not bad people, I mean us. When I am in a relational great spot with my wife and with my friends, I naturally feel like uh, I don't need God as much. I do. Because why? Because it's, it's getting fed from somewhere else. Man, like my wife like, meets all my needs. She, she, she Literally, she comes along and she encourages me and she strengthens me. So I don't quite have this same need for God. That's why, man, I got this friend and he really needs God. What do you mean? Well, he's lonely and he has no friends, so he really needs God. But I got this other friend, he's got a great wife, so he doesn't need God as much. I hear people talk like that all the time. And sometimes I can be deceived into thinking like that. And so we are, by our nature, it's good to remind myself, like, I am dependent upon God. One of my favorite moments ever, I think about it a lot, actually, was hearing Francis Chan for the first time, which is just fun. And the very first time I heard him, and he's in the middle of this prayer, and he prays, and God, I want to thank you for this next breath. And then he breathed in. We could hear it. (sighs) Thank you. And for this one, too. Can you hear Francis Chan doing that, that's how he likes to preach. And so he does that, and I'm sitting there going, I've never thought about that before. That is true. Like, I, I need to, to understand how unbelievably dependent I am on God on a regular basis. And even though I seem to be able to, in this world, provide for my family, God is the provider. It seems, though, like I'm able to protect my family, but God is my protector. That's what we're going through right now, right? Kings and prophets. is how fundamentally important it is for us to realize God made us, we're made from the dust, who are mortal beings, and then I am utterly dependent upon God. And I think one of the reasons why people don't, have a desire to worship God or to glorify God is because they feel like they don't need him. I mean, I just ask somebody, I would argue that the very core of, of that brokenness is just, I don't, like, what's he gonna do for me? Like, I don't mean, this sounds so selfish. I really don't mean to be selfish. But honestly, like, how do I need him? Like, what's he gonna do for me? Like, I pretty much have everything I need. Hmm. So you're, you're, I would argue you're missing something. Our bodies are creations of God and therefore considered to be good, like everything else that God made. Humans are souls composed of both body and spirit. We'll talk about that. Sometimes the soul is used to designate the spiritual aspects that we're going to talk a little bit about the soul and the body and the spirit and how they fit together. But ultimately what I want to say is God made them all. I love this idea that we're made from the ground and then what did it say that God did to us? Ruach. In the Hebrew, he breathed life into us. I remember the first time I watched someone pass away. It was um, like it was mind numbing. And it, was, it just happened to be that uh, her, her this, uh, kind of near the very end of her life, she was having a hard time breathing. She was an older lady and I was just there kind of to pray with the family. And she struggled to breathe and struggled to breathe and struggled to breathe and then stopped breathing. And I just remember thinking, and she's gone. And then, you, for those of you that have been in situations like that, what's the difference? You're a doctor. What's the difference? Can you put that in a bottle? Like, where did it go? Right. I get why doctors kind of at those moments just feel powerless sometimes. Right. Like I can't bring it back. I don't have what God has. I can't just. I can't just. Eat. I mean, we're not talking. We couldn't resuscitate her. She was gone. Okay? Wow. That fundamentally changes our understanding of who we are. Second thing that we're going to point out here in terms of our place in creation, the Bible actually teaches that our human nature is good and not evil. Our human nature is good and not evil. Now, by the way, you're going, well, what happened about the fall? No, we're not talking about the fall yet. But the Bible, when God makes us, this is very, very critical. I'll tell you one reason why it's critical. So was Jesus messed up from the beginning or not? And the answer is what? No. So therefore, if Jesus, and Jesus was what? Fully man. The church had to wrestle with this. So if all humans are just messed up to begin with, well then what happened to Jesus? He was fully human. So, by the way, don't know exactly how all of this is going to work out. You've got to be willing to deal with some paradoxes and some tension in our lives. But the Bible actually teaches when God made all of creation and behold, he looked back and he saw it. And when he, when he made man and woman, he said this, behold, it is very good. Like there's something unique and there's very something, something special in humanity. And we'll see what that actually is. But the very nature, kind of like the underlying nature of who we are and I believe that we should believe this and argue this and and kind of lift this up, is that there is a goodness that exists in us, which, by the way, so when I come to someone who is now living on the other side of the fall, I love to point out, you know that pain that you feel right now? As you're kind of rethinking your parents and they didn't make it and you're just going through that pain, yeah, that's not the way God intended it to be. Like that pain that you're feeling right now that your grandmother passed away, that's not the way that God intended it to be. Why do you have that pain? Why does it hurt so much? Why? It's because it it is a sign. How many of you know this? When there's something in your body that hurts, what do you do? Something's broken. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. Which means what? That's not the way that God intended it. Which means what? At the very root, at the very core of it, is its goodness. And it's good for us to remember that. So that we don't just settle in. We don't just settle in and say, yeah, that's just the way it's always going to be. It fundamentally denies what's going on. Now, by the way, I'm going to come along and I'm I'm not going to argue against that, but there's another side to that equation. The third thing that I want to talk about is this, is that human beings are estranged, fallen, and corrupted. (laughs) So on the other side of Adam and Eve, there is a, a break that now exists. And to try to deny that is wrong. When, when, my son, um, my, when my youngest son broke his leg, the doctor didn't go, oh, it was probably like that all the time. No, he knew this. it wasn't like this all the time. And what do we need to do? To the best of our ability, we need to make it like it was. Because so, why? It's broken. <laughs> the top part of his leg was estranged from the bottom part of his leg. And they had to put it back. And they had to put these kind of rods through his femur. And that's what they do to kind of try to put it back together. Why? Because this is the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way it was supposed to be. This is the way it was supposed to be. And therefore, um, it, is, it is important for us to recognize the fallen and the corrupted and the estranged nature that we are living in or that we're existing in is not the way that God intended it. I mean, I, I, I think it is so good for us as husbands and wives and parents and children and friends and coworkers and, and people who live in a, a, a democratic republic, as we look at the brokenness around us, how can you deny it? So what are you going to do? I'm going to get mad. That's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to go on Facebook. That'll fix them. And I'm going to rant on Facebook, and that'll fix them. And then I'm going to send an email, and then I'm going to get a friend, and they're gonna have, we're going to actually do like 50 emails, and that's going to fix them. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work that way, does it? Like, this, this isn't it. This isn't, so what are we going to do? And here's the answer. We are going to, to the best of our ability, and I only get so many years, and I only get, like, one body to live it in, so I only get one time and one place, and I gotta sleep seven hours a night. So however all of these things work together, I'm going to do my best, the best that I can, not to rant, not to get angry, not to pretend, not to, like, drink myself into oblivion because I can't take the pain, but to give Jesus in those moments. Like my identity is, man, this isn't the way that God made it. Jesus ultimately is going to be the answer, and therefore there is brokenness in the world. And I I, I embrace the brokenness in a sense. Not accept it in the way of going, oh yeah, we all are, but I remember watching my children really struggle and at times fail. And I loved telling them, um, this is kind of what God says to us boys. God says to us, that we are broken, that we are going to sin against us, but he loves us. And therefore, guard your heart against rebellion. Guard in your heart any kind of a, I'm going to do it and I don't care. Like, guard against that. Like, that is a terrible way for you to live. But son, I never expected you to live a perfect life. I always knew that you would, you would hurt your mom and I in a number of different ways, and I hurt my parents, and your, your, your mom hurt her parents. Like, it's just kind of the way that it is. And I'm not saying that so we, that we will just accept it, but we're not going to be just freaked out by it either. I know a lot of Christian people that just get freaked out by, like, brokenness. I don't understand that. What are you freaking out about? You know we're all broken. We're not going to escape. We're not going to get mad. What we're going to do is we're going to engage it with the gospel. And by engaging it with the gospel, we understand the kind of the, the, the solution ultimately um, to God's identity issues. Well, I'm not gonna get as far as I wanted to get, but I wanna run through in my last few moments with you. I wanna walk through three responses. To what we to, to to look at how humanity was 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 uh, uh, was was considered, and we'll end kind of with where we are today. So first of all, the early Christian response. There was something known as, and I, th- I think this is important for us to realize because it's becoming popular again today. There was something known as Gnosticism, which was this this fascination with this secret hidden knowledge. And what they believed way back then, more than anything else, was there was this inner divinity that existed inside each and every one of us. There was this inner God that lived inside of each and every one of us. And all we need is the secret knowledge to unlock the God within. And man, if you can just figure that out. And the church had to come along and the church had to say, no, 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 no. You don't have an inner God. No, no, no. You are made in the image of God, but you're not, you don't have an inner God. And therefore, don't look inward. This is one of the major problems. Don't work, Don't look inward for meaning or purpose. Don't look inward for correction and guidance. Where do you look? You look to God's revelation. And so the early church stro- spoke very, very strongly about this issue and said you've got to be careful believing somehow. And, and y- 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 you guys have heard this today now, right? We all have this inner God inside of us. I mean, it's, it's very, very popular. It's also interesting to know that... Um, the early church, for like the three, first three or four hundred years, they spent a ton of time defining the nature and the purpose of God, particularly within the Trinity, the nature of, of, of God the Father, the nature and purpose of God the, the Son, and the nature and purpose of the Holy Spirit. So they spent a ton of time doing that. The church never came out with creedal statements in regards to humanity. They never did, which is kind of interesting. Now, there is a kind of this amazing uniformity that exists Within the, within the 2,000 years of the church. But you don't have the existing three in one spirit and one body and of the Father and proceeding from the Father to the, like all of those statements about the, they never really did that about us. But the things that they were very clear about were what? We were made in God's image. We were made good. We are terrible in terms of our, our brokenness and God is in the process of redeeming us. But they never really kind of formalized any of those statements. There then developed after the kind of the early Christian response the pre-modern response, which is that time period from say about 500 to about the 15 or 1600s. And during that particular time period, it's interesting most of humanity believed that they were creatures made by God in His image and likeness, composed of a body and soul, but fallen and yet redeemable. That's what the majority of the world believed that majority of the world, even into other religions. That's why when you go back and you look at other religions that started during that time period, they have kind of a similar mindset. Okay? This is kind of who we are. We're creatures made by God. Okay? So the, the world almost en masse really kind of followed that particular thing. Now, this is where it's fundamentally changed. In the modern, the modern response is this. Let me, uh, you, you might know about the essayist all, uh, Alexander Pope. Here's what he writes. Know then thyself... Seek not God to scan, the proper study of mankind is man. Know then thyself, seek not God to scan, the proper study of mankind is man. Someone has put it this way um, in our our very passionate and uh, uh, scientific world, that we are no more than digestive systems that know that we're going to (laughs) die. That's who we are. We're digestive systems that know that we are going to die. And what, what I think it's so critical that you and I do during our study is say, actually, that's not true. Like, no wonder there's hopelessness. I mean, it's very interesting. Um, and, and by the way, when, when I make statements, okay, um, it's kind of hard when I only have, like, so many minutes and I usually go over anyway It's so hard. So if I make a statement and you feel like, wow, that's kind of like too strong of a statement, come and ask me about it and I'll kind of explain to you, yeah, there's always going to be an exception here or exception there. It's always going to be a little more complicated. But I genuinely believe that the suicide crisis that we see in our world today would not be totally solved but is radically changed when people understand that God made them, that God loves them, That God redeemed them. That God has a plan for them and a purpose for them. And the reason in those parts of the world, like, like Japan, for example, where suicide is on the increase, is what does it matter? If we are a digestive system that knows we're going to die, then what does it matter when I die? What does it matter? And the question that I would ask is, like, what if that's not true? What if it's not true? What if you're not a digestive system that knows it's going to die? That's why it really matters that we speak the truth to one another and that we speak the truth to our children, that we speak the truth to our spouses about what their identity is, that we recognize that we are dependent upon God, that we recognize that there is a goodness in us because we are made in his image. We'll talk more about that next week. And that there is a brokenness in us that can only be redeemed and fixed by Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, I thank you for what you have done and for the amazing way in which you work in our lives. God, I thank you for the peace that can only come through Jesus Christ. God, the truth is, um, the Bible speaks in profound and paradoxical ways, but never contradictory. I mean, it describes just Um, The fact that you must esteem us in a very high way because you sent your son to die in our place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the scriptures teach. The son of man that you care for him. Yet, Father, uh, may we always realize that that the love that you have for us doesn't come by anything intrinsic within us, but it is a gift from you to us. And in that way, Father, may we have a better understanding of who we are. May we share that understanding with those people who are struggling with their identity, who literally are lost and confused and depressed and scared, who are prideful and arrogant and uh, overconfident. Whatever circumstance they find themselves in, may they find the truth in Jesus, and may they find eternal peace in him and in him alone. So, Father, use my words uh, over the semester to get us there. Um, Father, in spite of me, get us there. I pray that all of us would be able to worship better, love better, be better employees and employers, be better husbands and fathers and mothers. Uh, Father, I, I pray that we would all do all of this for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.